Well, good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? Father, we just thank you for the time that we've already had here this morning. And right now, we just turn our attention to your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's your word. It's what you've spoken to us. And just as the Bible says, it's, a, it's quick, it's alive, it's powerful. And we thank you, Father, that as we apply the word to our life, that it produces great results. And so we thank you for it. Open our eyes to see your intentions, Lord, and we receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, can you believe we're already at January 21st? It just seems like, I don't know about you, but my month has just been flying right by, and it's just like, wow, January's gone. Before you know it, February will be gone, and we'll be out of this winter, right? We, had, we finally got some winter weather. It was nice and cold. You probably had to wear your big heavy jacket and crank up the heat, but man, God is good every day. Day in, day in out, during the day, during the night, in the good seasons, in the bad seasons, God is always good and His mercy endures forever. Amen? Well, we're going to continue on in what we're doing for this first part of this year in 2024, and we're taking a look at the book of Colossians, and now we're at week number three, and we have not made it very far, you know, I think the furthest we've made is a little bit into verse number 10, and I don't think we're going to make it much further than that now, because my intention as we, do th- as we go through this book is that we give attention to the things we need to know. If Paul says something, we need to understand the depth of what it is he's talking about, and so during this series, we're going to take rabbit trails. We're going to dive deep into what we need to so that we, when Paul says something, we actually understand what he means about it. So don't get wrapped up that we've only made it 10 verses and there's still four more chapters. We'll get to where we need to go. And without even knowing it, some of the groundwork we're laying in these first weeks, we'll explain some of the things later on in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so we're in the book of Colossians, and we've told you just a little bit of background about them, that they are in the region of Fergia, which is right next to the province of Galatia in what is now modern-day Turkey. And this area of Fergia was a fruitful area for Paul, even though he wasn't personally the one who started these churches. We have the Church of Colossae, we have the Church of Laodicea, and we have the Church of Hierapolis within the province of Fergia. And I told you last week that the church at Colossae, was a, it was a city that was in decline. It was once of the most prestigious city of that region. But due to the Romans changing trade routes and building new roads, the trade route had been moved north of Colossae. And so they had been in decline while Laodicea was increasing in prominence. And I told you last week that one uh, English uh, theologian about 100 50 years ago called Colossae the, the, the least among the churches. If you say, if you're talking about churches, Colossae was the least important. And it sparked debate as to, you know, why should we even care what he, what's been written to the Colossians? They were the least of them. I want to look to the important things. And you have to understand that that's speaking God's heart. That he cares about the little things. He just doesn't care about the big things. He doesn't care about the big churches. He doesn't care about the important people. He cares about all of the church, whether big or small. And you can say, well, why don't we have a letter to the Laodiceans seeing as they were important? Well, actually, Paul wrote one. 
It says in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Now when the epi- this epistle, the one of the Colossians, is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So evidently Paul had written a letter to them, that, but God didn't see fit to add that to our, the canon of our Bible because what he said to the church at Colossians is very, very important to us. And so just because it was sent to a small church doesn't degrade its importance. It is actually more important in some areas because it speaks to the least of these. And that's God's heart. Those who feel like they are the downtrodden, those who are thinking that got the short end of the stick, God is for you, not against you. He will grab you by the hand and he will pick you up and he will lead you on and he will bring you to the place that you need to be. The Lord says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due season. And so we don't have the epistle that was written to the church at Laodicea, but we do have the one that's written to Colossae. And when we think about the church at Laodicea, it was rising in prominence in this time, and Colossae was decreasing. And so the book of Colossians was written between the, uh, the, the year 60 to 62 AD, somewhere in that time frame. But something very important happened in the year 62 AD. There was an earthquake that rocked the region of Phrygia and leveled the cities of Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. They were completely crushed under the weight of this earthquake. And when it came to rebuilding, no one cared to rebuild Colossae in the way that they rebuilt Laodicea. They put all the money and all the focus into that. And so we see, after this letter is written to these people that the city goes through a catastrophe and it's not rebuilt and it begins to decline and decline and decline until it disappears in about the 8th century. But Laodicea continues to increase. And like I said, we don't have the epistle that was written to them, but we do know what God told John about them. And so you they may say, well, they're the important ones in the region. Well, here's what John had, God had to say to John about them. First, he said, he called them the lukewarm church. He said, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, so I spit you out of my mouth. Meaning, God was not happy with the believers at Laodicea. He's like, you guys have compromised. You're not for me, but you're not right against. You're sitting right in between, and you're in a useless position. And here's what he said to the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. He says, because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And he says, and you don't know that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. And so in their estimation, as the prominence of Laodicea increased, the, the, the idea of them being a lukewarm church is actually a picture of what was going on in Laodicea. As the trade routes caused them to flourish, they looked around at the cities around them, and they tried to take the best of what the other cities had to offer and bring it to them. And they have, just north of them, there was a village that had wonderful hot springs. And Laodiceans thought, hey, you know what? We should have those. And so they dug an aqueduct that would run the hot water from the northern village into their city. But you know what happened by the time it got there? It was not warm. And it wasn't very clean. It picked up a lot of dirt and dust because they were trying to be something they were not. They were trying to take the prominent things of others and add it to their life. And that speaks to us, is you don't have to look to others like, oh, I wish I had with that. No, you need to have what God has called you to. You need to be walking in what God has called you. 
And when he says, you run. And so he says, you guys say that you're rich and you're wealthy, and that was true of the Laodiceans, but God said, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. That's not something I want God to say about me. And so he says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Now, he's not talking about physical cold. He's not talking about physical riches. He's saying, go ahead and lean into the important things of me. And the Bible talks about God being a consuming fire, and he purifies. Just like you put, you put dirty gold into the crucible, and you heat it up, and you heat it up, and you heat it up. All the imperfections come to the surface, and they're scooped off, and you're left with something that's better, purer, and more value in the end. And so he says to the church at Laodicea, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Well, they already said, I am rich. No, you're rich in the things of the world, but you're poor in the things of God. And he says, and white garments that you may be clothed, that your shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with an eye salve that you may see. And so they thought they were doing great when we measure things up by how the world standard is. And God says, you guys aren't as good as you think you are. Come to me, and I will give you what you actually need. Having the things of the world is great, but letting the things of the world have you is not. And so we were in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul kicks off his whole letter like this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And you can see it as an innocuous statement, like just he's just making a passing statement about it, but it's not. He's saying, I do what I do, and I am what I am, because this is what God has asked of me. And when we look into the background of Paul, this was not in, I told you last week, it's not his five-year plan. It was not his 10-year plan to be doing this. His plan was to be persecuting the church of Christ. But when he met God on the road to Damascus, it knocked him down to his knees. And God calls out to him, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And he says, who are you, Lord? And God says back to him, it's hard to kick against the stones meaning the rock of Jesus Christ will not be moved, and you're bashing your foot against it, and it's not going to move, you might as well join it rather than fight against it. And Paul's life was transformed in that moment, and a calling was placed upon his life, and he determined that I'm not going to do what I want to do, I'm going to do what God calls me to do. Amen? And so when we're talking about the will of God, we told you that it's the word thylema, which is in the Greek, which means what one wishes or has determined should be done. And so who is the one that wishes in the context of these verses? It's God. It's what does God want? What has he desired to be done? You know that God has things that he desires for you to have. He has things that he desires for you to do. As Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10, he said, You are his workmanship. You are his craftsmanship. You are his masterpiece. And it says, You've been created under Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. And so he's saying, I've made you a masterpiece, and I've created a place for that masterpiece to go and be seen, and for things of that to be done, and you should walk in them. But he doesn't say, you will, because he will never override your will. Come on. 
He will never override your will and make you do anything that you do not want to do. That's why we have free choice. But we, as Christians, need to come to the understanding that God has a will for us just as much as we have a will for us. And I told you last week that it's probably about 10 years ago now, I preached a message called His Will, Your Will, and the Other Guy. God has a will for you. You have will and desires for you. And when we talk about your will, if you're married, that includes your wife's will. You guys should be moving together as one. As Amos said, can two walk together unless they agree? And that's the hardest thing in marriages, getting on the same page, getting your desires and your wants facing in the right direction. And so there's God's will and the things that he wants, and then you have to understand there's things that you want. And understanding what his will is actually kind of easy when you know what your will is. If there's things like, I want to do this, but then there's this feeling, no, this is what I should do. That's the will of the Lord leading you. And when you're willing to say, okay, I put my will aside, I'll pursue yours. That's when you stand in his blessing. Because the second part of the definition of the word thylema is the purpose to bless mankind through Christ. And so the purpose of the will of God is not to punish you. The purpose of the will of God is not a punishment. The purpose of the will of God is to bless you in ways that you've not considered yet. To bring you into a place of peace, to bring you into a place of provision, a place of security, and a place of fulfillment that you could not do with your desires. God knows what will fulfill you better than you will because he knows more about you than you know about you. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head. Do you know? You keep it in, Some of you, it's easier to keep count than others. But he knows the number. He knows when they fall and he knows when they grow. He knows more about you than you know about you. And so he knows what will fulfill you and truly make you feel satisfied and fulfilled. Come on, let's think about that. When, when we look about why we make decisions, our society is driven by pleasure. And pleasure is fun for a season. Satisfaction and fulfillment and joy are good for a lifetime. It says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so if we give everything we do about wanting it to fulfill our pleasures, you will be left feeling wanting. You will left being filled empty. You can pursue all the things of the world that will bring you pleasure and still not be happy. Because the will of God and walking in his plan and his provision for you will satisfy you in ways that you've not even thought of yet. Come on, and so I really wanted to emphasize that statement that the will of God is not a punishment. When God says, I'd like you to go over here, it's not because he wants you to be miserable. He wants you to be satisfied. He wants you to be fulfilled. And when, just like Jesus was going before the, the cross, he's like, I don't want to do this. But he says, but not my will, your will, Lord. And it says, then for the joy that was set before him. Come on. The fulfillment of seeing all the sons and daughters being able to return unto God, that was better than avoiding the cross in Jesus' life. And so when we yield our will to him, we actually find what it truly means to be happy. 
Come on, there's been times in my life where I thought I was happy, but when I stepped into his will, I found joy that I didn't even know was possible to me because it's only available in the will of God. And so the will of God is not a punishment. The will of God is a promotion. The will of God is a provision. The will of God is a protection. The will of God is satisfaction. But our flesh does not always like the idea of the will of God. And this week I I had a perfect example of this in my own life uh, of what it's like to our flesh sometimes. Obviously, in the last two weeks, we've gotten all the snow that we had been missing in November and December. And uh, as we've gotten that snow piled up, we, we live on a highway, and there's two lanes uh, that are going one direction and one the other. And so we end up with a lot of snow at the end of our driveway. And so as they push that snow out of the way, we end up with mounds of hills on, on, at the end of our driveway. And so our children know that you are not supposed to play on the other side of the bushes because you're too close to the highway that people drive like crazy idiots on, right? So we say, you stay on this side of the bushes, but the big hills are on the other side. And so I came out this week this, in one of the mornings to get the kids on the bus. They had gone out about five minutes earlier. And there they are on the other side of the bushes on the top of those hills rolling down. And so I yelled to them, hey, get back on this side of the bushes. And one of them, I won't say which one, says, you don't even care if we you don't even like us. You don't even care if we're happy. You don't want us to have any fun and started giving me attitude because his flesh wanted to play in the area that he was not called to. Now, there's a very good reason why they're not not allowed to play on the hill on that side of the bushes. If you slip and you roll, you're right on the highway where people are flying by trying to get to work early in the morning. They're going by. That that desire that I have for them not to play on that side of the bush is for their protection. But in the eyes of our flesh sometimes, it feels like a punishment because I don't get to do what I want to do. So what? Suck it up, buttercup. Just because you didn't get to do what you wanted to do doesn't mean that you now don't, aren't standing in a protection that you didn't know you needed. And so as parents, we say, don't play in the street. That's not a punishment. That's a protection. And so sometimes when we talk about the will of God, it's like, well, I don't want to do that. That's your flesh talking. You do what Paul said. I keep my body under. I tell it what to do. I love love the story of Smith Wigglesworth. Somebody said, you know, how's Smith doing today? He's like, I don't ask Smith how he's doing. I tell Smith how he's doing. And so when it comes to the will of God, sometimes your flesh rears up and says, I don't want to do that. Yeah, tell it to shut up. It's not the boss. And for some of us, that hit's been running us too long. Your flesh is not the one in control. Amen? Amen. And so when it comes, last week with the will of God, we were talking about it mainly in regards to direction. Where you would have us to go, Lord. Where you'd have us to be working. And here's what James had to say in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, and we'll spend a year there, we'll buy and sell, and we'll make a profit, whereas 
You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Let's just pause at that statement. How true is that? We make our plans, but we don't actually know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we know a God who does, who knows the end from the beginning, who has a Holy Spirit who leads and guides us into all truth, and he shows us things to come. He brings things to our remembrance. He leads us in his paths of glory and paths of peace. And so you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and your plans may fall flat on their face. And so he says, when it comes to making your decisions, don't just be so quick to say, well, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. He says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, what is your life? Is it even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away? And that's saying, in the scheme of eternity, your lifespan is pretty small, but in the scheme of eternity, the Lord covers it all. And so he says, instead, where did it go? In, let's go. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and we shall do this or we'll do that. He's saying what you should be doing, we're not talking to unbelievers, we're talking to believers. Before you make a decision, you should be saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? I'm seeking your will. And the will of God is really not that hard to discern when you've got the Holy Spirit. Because he leads you in peace. And so if you have a decision to make, one of the best decision-making models you could ever do is say, I'm going to do this. And say, how did that feel? Did that feel like peace? Or did that feel like, eh, that's not right? Then you say, I'm going to do this one. Lay out that option. And follow after peace. Some say, well, I just don't know how to do that. Quiet yourself. Spend some time with the Lord. Focus in on the Holy Spirit. And let the voice of God rise up on the inside of you. The book of Romans says that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. If you've not stopped to listen and be led, you're a delinquent child. Come on. I don't, I don't care how that feels to your flesh. If you haven't stopped to listen and be led, you're disobedient. The children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Here's another one. Stop saying, I don't know. Don't know what I should do. I don't know what I, I had to catch myself this week saying that. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. No, I do. It says the whole, you know all things because you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. First John it says you, you don't need any man to teach you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can teach you. He can lead you where you need to be. So if you're saying, I don't know, you're speaking contrary to the will of God who says you do know and you will be led. Amen? And so we talked about the will of God in regards to direction. And Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, what did he hear of? In the previous verse, he says, I've heard of your love in the Spirit. He's already said to them, I understand your love one for another. But in verse number 8, he says, I've heard of your love for the Spirit or the things of the Spirit. So what does Paul do? Rather than giving them natural wisdom, he goes and prays for them. He said, I heard you like to listen to what the Spirit has to say, so I'm going to pray for you and the Holy Spirit will bring these things up to you. 
He says, I don't cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. And so Paul's desire for the church at Colossae was that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Because when you know what his will is, you can then be obedient to it. When you're obedient to it, then you can stand in that place of blessing that the will has a purpose for. Amen? But the will of God does not just impact where we go and what we work at or what we do. The will of God actually has some things to say about your character and your conduct. Now, last week after we finished our message and everybody had left, I was uploading the video and I, I shot a quick quick message on Instagram and, and, and uh, a video and said, you know, hey, guys, we had a great time at church today. We were talking about the will of God. You know, if you want to know more about that, you can go to wordchurch.ca and check out our quick current messages and I got home and I checked and some crazy person had commented on it which as happens a lot and they said you didn't say anything about how to be led by the will of God or gave us any actionable steps in that it's like and I clicked on their thing and they were like I'm a recovering evangelical so I'm like no you're you're a tire kicker is what you are and uh, and so you don't you don't argue with stupid people right you don't waste your time so I deleted it but what I was thinking about that is like man you, you said there was no actionable steps but you didn't follow the steps which was go to word church and actually watch the video of what we were talking about and it, one of the things they had said is how do we even know what the will of God is his word is his will if he said it about you in his word it's his will for you you. And so when you say, what is the will of God? You're just saying, I haven't even bothered to look. Because in his word, he has very clearly lined out what is some of his things of the will that he has for you. He's, he, he desires that you prosper and be in health. He bore all sickness, sin, and shame on his back through Jesus for you. But he gets a lot more specific than that. The, the word of God is filled with the will of God. And so if we jump over for a few minutes and we look at the book of Ephesians, which we told you in week number one, is the twin epistle to Colossians. They, they say a lot of the same things, but from a different angle. Here's what Paul had to say to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, For once you were in darkness... But now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. This is where we're going to start in Ephesians. He says, you were once darkness... That's talking about former things. Come on. The, when you get, believed on Jesus, Colossians tells us that you've stepped from darkness into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love, who is the son of light. And so you used to be in darkness, or you were an unbeliever. You've now stepped into light. He says, now your walk should look different. It should begin to change. We don't live like we used to live. We've stepped into new things. We might as well pull from the new things. And so he says, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now, Paul goes into much more depth in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. But he says here, the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. What do we know about fruit? It grows. <laughs> it's simple. Fruit, uh, an apple tree isn't up there going, I must grow fruit, I must grow fruit, I must grow fruit. No, it just grows fruit. When you step into the things of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit begin to grow in your life. 
The fruit of the Spirit are not things that you try to attain to. They're the things that show up in your life when you're in proximity to the Lord, when you're in the things of the Spirit and the things of the world. They just come up. And you know it's like, ah, I used to do this, but it's like, now I want to do this. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to work with each and every one of us. And so when, when people get saved, sometimes like, well, you got to tell them to stop doing this and stop doing that. No, I'm not the great do this and do that. I'm the one that keeps pointing you to Jesus, pointing you to the things of the Spirit, and He knows how to work with you. He knows how to clean you up. Come on, I remember David Horton a bunch of years ago now was talking about a friend of his who was starting a church. And uh, they, they had a core group of people that, that, that they were going to be working from. And so they were having one of their first meetings, and they had a whiteboard up. And the, and the guy who was going to be the pastor, he said, okay, so let's talk about what kind of church do we want. And he meant one thing, and some of the people in that meeting heard something different. And so this one lady, who, who was a, a larger lady, said, said uh, no smokers. And he kind of thought for a second, and he's like, okay, I wrote it down. Like, no drinkers. And he's like, okay, so I wrote it down. And he goes, no gluttons. And she was, <gasps> so mad. He's like, we're not here to determine that. We want a, a church that's filled with the spirit of God, the spirit of worship, the spirit of prayer, where the name of Jesus is magnified, where the name is glorified, because that's not our job to clean people up. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And so when we're in the things of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit begin to grow in our lives. And he says, for the fruit of the spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. And he says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And so when, you, when you're in the things of the Spirit, you begin to understand what he actually approves of and what he doesn't approve of in your life. And he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. He is not saying, when you see people living in sin, drag them up in front of him, look at what they're doing wrong. No, he's talking about you. When you recognize that the Lord is leading you in a direction, you, your flesh may be like, don't talk about that, don't touch that. No, you lift that up to the Lord and you expose it to the light of Him and He transforms you. Just as he said to the, Paul said to the Corinthians that as we behold the Lord is in a mirror, we are transformed from glory to glory. This is not about pointing out the sin of your neighbor. This is you looking at the content and character of your heart and lifting it up to the Lord and letting Him wipe away the darkness with the light of his love. Amen? And he says, for it's shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You have to understand the context of who, when you're talking about the church of the Ephesians, they had a major temple there in Ephesus that was for the, Acts tells us it's the temple of Diana, which was the Roman name for the Greek god Artemis. And she was the virgin huntress and the goddess of fertility. And so if you want to talk about what they did in secret, you need to understand what they did in the open and when it comes to the celebrations and the festivals that they would have right out in the streets of Ephesus during this time one one uh, he was not a theologian he was an historian said that they could only describe these events as very ecstatic and very orgiastic and so if we're going to talk about the things that they do in secret you have to understand what they do in the open and Paul's not saying drag them out of their their secret place he's saying no you 
you expose them to expose your things to the light of the Lord. Because he says, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Meaning when you put some light on a dark thing, it lights up. You don't have to try and get rid of darkness. You just add light. And it does that automatically. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And so see then that you walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly just means carefully or with purpose. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word evil is the word for carnal, natural. It talks about the things of the flesh. But he says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Why? The will of the Lord brings you into a place of blessing. It brings you into a place of purpose, satisfaction, provision, peace. It's where his blessing rests. And so Paul says, don't be unwise or don't be stupid. No, understand what the will of the Lord is. And as I said, it's not hard to understand what the will of the Lord is. We can go over to the First Thessalonians chapter 5, and Paul starts talking about things that are God's will. You want to know what some of them are? First Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another. And he says, just as you're already doing. And so he's talking to the church of Thessalonica, and he's saying, this is part of the will of God. Comfort one another and build each other up. You, you think that that is just a simple statement in itself, but our society has built these days on tearing people down. We make fun of people. You know, we listen to our comedians, and they're not building people up. They're tearing them down. But yet we laugh at those things when the Lord's saying, no, we're not going to destroy people. We want to build them up and comfort them. And he says to the Thessalonica, that you're already doing this, continue in. You've been called to comfort one another. If you find someone having a bad day, bring some joy into their life. Bring some comfort. Build them up. Nothing is ever gained in your, your candle will not burn brighter by putting somebody else's out. You will not get up the ladder any faster by knocking somebody else off. But the will of the Lord is that you comfort one another and build up one another. He says, here, here's one thing. He says, I urge you, brethren, recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish them. When was the last time you looked around this church and thought, hey, that person is so nice. They're being helping with the kids. I should go and say thank you to that. He says, recognize those who labor among you. Come on, when we talk about the church statistics worldwide, it's like when it comes to the getting into mega churches and stuff like that, the bigger a church is, the less people serve, the less people give, the less they actually have an impact on their community. When was the last time we looked around and said, thank you for doing the slides today, Melissa? We appreciate you for doing that. Paul says this is part of the will of God. Look around and look at the people who are actually doing something and say thank you. He says, look at the people who are over you in the Lord as I admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Pastor Wendy, thank you so much for leading us in prayer week in and week out. Thank you for directing our thoughts back to the community. Thank you for fulfilling that spot. That's part of the will of God. Here's one. 
be at peace among yourselves. <laughs> you know, I, I never, never would have thought that getting into the ministry that one of the biggest problems that you would have within the church is Christians fighting with Christians. It says, be at peace among yourself. You know what he told the Corinthians? He said, stop taking each other to the court before the judge. Are you not big enough that between you and you and the Lord, you can sort this out? He says, be at peace among one another. He says, I exhort you, brethren, to warn those who are unruly. If someone's acting out, it's okay to say, hey, settle down. Stop that. That's part of the will of God. He says, comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Here's one for us all. Be patient with all. Come on, I know I'm pushing some buttons this morning, but the word is the word, right? We don't, we don't water it down because it makes the flesh feel uncomfortable. He says, be patient with all. And he says, see that no one renders evil for evil for anyone. Come on, I, <laughs> this week uh, my kids had one of those big, um, big pieces of paper that you roll out and they can do coloring and it takes up like the whole room. And it had one of those big cardboard uh, centers, you know, and that's lots of fun. I was in the room and I hear, whack, whack, whack. Hey, don't do that. And then I hear some tumble, 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 whack, whack, whack. And another one starts crying. And so I come out to see what's going on. And he did it to me first. And I was like, yes, but if it would have ended there, he would be the only one getting in trouble. And now you're in trouble too, right? He says, don't render evil for evil. Sometimes you just got to disengage and step back and be like, there's something going on in their life. I don't need to add to this problem by adding my flesh to it. And he says, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. The book of Philippians, Paul prays, he said that we would learn to esteem others above ourselves. Rather than just always trying to, I want to do what's good for me. No, let's do what's good for all. And he says, rejoice always. I guess we could talk about the inverse and say complain less <laughs> rejoice always pray without ceasing or pray constantly that means to keep an open line of dialogue between you and God prayer doesn't mean the oh heavenly fathers it can be the oh God help me <laughs> oh, I need wisdom Lord grant me the serenity to, <laughs> to accept the things I cannot change or how, however that prayer goes. Sometimes it's just a matter of keeping that dialogue open. You know what I'm talking about, right? We all have those moments. Lord, I, I, I need to tap into that strength right now because I'm about to lose it with the last thread of it I've got. You know, we keep that line of dialogue open between us and the Lord. And he says, and in everything, give thanks or be thankful, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you want to know what the will of God is for you? Paul just finished telling you what it is. And our flesh might say, I don't want to do that. Good for you. Send it packing and do it anyways, because that's where you find your place of blessing. When you sow into the lives of others and when you build people up, you reap. You reap what you sow, so be careful what you keep putting in the ground. And he says, give thanks, because this is the will of God. And then he goes on and he adds some addendums to it. He says, don't quench the spirit. Man, when the Lord is moving and he's working, watch what you're doing. 
You know what happens oftentimes when we're praying for people and people, everybody else could care less about that person. They're like, hey, how's it going? Yada, 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 yada. No, pray for them. Believe for them. Don't put the brakes on. You know, sometimes when we're preaching, you can feel the flow of God. Just It gets pulled out of you. It's just like it becomes so easy to preach. And you guys in general are so awesome to preach to. It's really easy to preach in this place. And when we have guests in, they're like, oh, yeah, it's just so easy to preach. Sometimes you say things to people in services, and all of a sudden it's like the brakes go on, and you can feel like your words are slapping you back in the face. That's quenching the spirit. It's like, I don't want to hear another word of this. Why? Because it hits your flesh. You don't receive with your flesh. And so what he's saying is don't shut off the flow of the Spirit because your flesh wants to get involved. Who cares if you got a pot roast in? Maybe you should have waited until you got home. Come on. We don't put God on a time schedule. I try to honor your time, and I understand we're getting close to the end of it. I try to honor your time, but uh, we honor his time above everything. Paul already said to the Ephesian, redeem the time or make the best use of it. So he's saying, don't quench the spirit. And then he says this, he says, don't despise prophecies. It's easy for us to harden our hearts to be like, oh, well, I've heard something like that before. No, when the spirit of God is speaking, don't, sh don't shut it off, weigh it. What did the word of God say about what they're saying? What does my own heart say about what is being said? Is it something that's, that's agreeing with the areas that you're leading me to, Lord? Don't just be like, I don't do that. Paul just said, don't be like that. Take it up with him. You can talk to him all you want when you get to heaven. He says, don't despise prophecies. He says, test all things. Test them, weigh them, judge them. When Paul was talking about 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 14, people always talk about, you know, praying in tongues and, how, you know, tongues and interpretation. Paul also says in that chapter, it's like when you're going to prophesy, let it be done by two or three and let the others judge. Prophecy should be judged. You should test all things, whether they're actually from God. And if it's not, hold fast to what is good. Amen? And he says, abstain from every form of evil. When you know what you're not supposed to do, go ahead and don't do it. Abstain. And it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That word sanctify means to separate you from. And there's going to be times where the will of God will separate you from things that you had thought were fine. And the word also means to cleanse externally. This is not talking about salvation. At salvation, the Holy Spirit did a work inside of you. He made you a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Sanctification is doing something about your walk, your character, your conduct, the outside you. Inside you is new. Sanctification is the process of the Lord transforming you from glory to glory. And he said, himself sanctify you completely, which means the Lord can do some transformation in the lives of people as far as they're willing to go, but he wants to take it all the way to the end. Why? Well, we can back up one chapter. He says, for this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Come on, I understand that these aren't shouting. This isn't a shouting message. It's not one of those things like, oh, yes, Lord, help me be a better person. <laughs> but that's his will for you. 
that you be transformed, that you walk as children of light versus people of the world. You've had your time in there, and if it was good enough, you'd still be in it, but you saw the light of Jesus and said, no, no, I want better. And so I step because the will of God for me is my sanctification, my, my purification on the outside. Amen? And so there's so much more that we could say about those things, but Paul just began to pray. He began to pray for them, and he says, For this reason, we also, since we heard of it, we don't cease to pray. That's that continual form of prayer. And we ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. And so we've just kind of touched the little tip of what the Word of God has to say about what is the will of God for you. But I don't ever want to hear you say, I don't know what the will of God is. You read just a little bit in the, the epistles. Spend some time with the things that were written to you as people of the church, as part of the body of Christ, and his will is pretty evident. He wants good things for you, not evil. He wants you to be transformed from the inside out. He wants to change the way you see, the way you think, and what you will experience, because what he has for you is a million times better than the world will ever have for you. Amen? Seek the will of God. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Amen? I think that's a good place for us to stop this morning. Hallelujah. In just a moment, our word care team is going to be up here at the front, and they would love to pray with you and believe with you and agree with you and testify and shout with you and do everything that we may have not done in this service and preaching. But you know what? If you need the will of God, hey, as two or three agree as touching anything on this earth, it shall be done for them. If, you, if you're seeking direction, come on up and find some people to agree with you. They would love to pray with you. Amen? Pastor Robin. It's offering time. We, um, that's great. God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> Amen. Um, so, you know how it can be done. You can go online, give at wordchurch.ca forward slash give, and or the envelope in the, in the pew and the basket at the back. Um, hallelujah. You know, we're, we're going to say this confession that says this is, this is my seed. Uh, we do this repetitiously. And that is a good thing, because uh, Paul was told the Corinthians, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So and what we're doing is we're doing that very thing. We are watering, we are planting and watering. We are doing actually past, present, and future in the realm of giving and receiving. Amen? Because you have planted seed in the past, and you're watering that. You're planting seed today, and so you're planting. And in the future, you have your harvest, amen, that you're watering and you're receiving because you did planting and you did watering. Amen? So let's say this together. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow multiply and return in great supply harvest i receive you lack i resist you his supply is sufficient i walk in abundance of grace in jesus name
Amen. 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 Well, glory be to God. We do have some coffee at the back if you want to have a, some fellowship before you go and or prayer. We've got the Word Care team up here. Amen. You are blessed.